And next week, we will be having our Christmas service um, next Sunday. Um, same time, same place. So here at Spring Valley High School at 1030. And after Christmas service, we please join us in the cafeteria for some Christmas festivities and food. And then just a quick reminder that if you're interested in going um, indoor rock climbing today at 3 p.m., please see Pastor Roland or Thomas for more information. And then um, so our campus is continuing with our fundraisers. This is one of the last fundraisers that we'll do before we head to our Every Nation Campus Conference from January 2nd to the 5th. We'll be selling um, retro blue sauce made by the Tomas family along with um, milk tea made by uh, one of our youth um, in the church. And so for me, that Every Nation Campus Conference changed my life each year. I have attended every year since 2020, and we have just seen such an impact in the students' lives. And this year, it's a national conference in Orlando, Florida, where over 2,000 college students will be joining us all around the nation with Every Nation Campus. And so um, if God has put it on your heart to with the next generation, we will be selling those things after service. And to bring us the word today is Pastor Matt Bolisan. Hello, hello. I'm back here. I'm in the Christmas forest. I'm actually going to preach from back here today, if that's okay. Uh, so welcome to our, I'm, I guess I'll come out. Welcome. Oh no, oh no. Oh, what have I done? I've ruined Christmas. I'm the Grinch. It was me. I'm the Grinch. Okay, uh, welcome to Every Nation Church Las Vegas. My name is Matt. I'm the associate pastor here. This is Pastor Roland. He's our lead pastor. And we are both, and we are all, excited that you joined us here today, just like how many of us during this season are excited about watching our favorite Christmas movies again. Uh, who has a favorite Christmas movie? Shout out your favorite Christmas movie for me. Home Alone, It's a Wonderful Life. That's a wonderful answer. Iron Man 3, that is a Christmas movie, so is Die Hard. Elf, yes. Okay, so we've all got favorite Christmas movies, but a lot of us also have favorite Christmas movie characters. So now tell me your favorite Christmas movie character. Tony Stark. Very accurate. Very appropriate. Who? Oh, Buddy the Elf, yes. If you are a fan of Buddy the Elf, then you probably believe that the best way to spread Christmas cheer is by singing loud for all to hear. And because I want you all to have Christmas cheer, I won't do that. Uh, maybe you're a fan of Kevin McAllister from Home Alone. And at this time of year, if you're a fan of Home Alone or a fan of Kevin McAllister, you might be paying in cash and telling people, keep the change, you filthy animal. And in a similar fashion, a lot of us have favorite people who are associated with the birth of Jesus Christ and the advent of Christ in the Bible. Um, a lot of people would say that their favorite person associated with the birth of Christ is Mary, right? That's also a song, Mary Did You Know? Gabriel the angel told her, spoiler, Mary did know. So it's, it's a cool song, very profound, very powerful. She knew. Okay, so just letting you know that Mary knew. Okay, uh, Mary... Joseph, Joseph was an awesome guy. A lot of people like Zechariah, who we preached about in the first week. We like Elizabeth. Uh, Simeon and Anna are favorites. 
at this time of the year. But the person that we're going to focus on today as we continue our series, Emmanuel, is someone that I can almost guarantee that no one will consider their favorite person associated with the birth of Jesus Christ. I will, I will bet you a dollar. I've got a dollar in my wallet. I'll put it on the line. Go ahead, on the count of three, shout out the name of your favorite person associated with the birth of Christ, and this doesn't count for you if you already looked at the notes. But for those of you who didn't look at the notes, go ahead and share who it was. One, two, three. All right, yeah, Mary, Jesus, nobody, the shepherds, shepherds are awesome, nobody talked about the person that we are going to talk about today. And we will meet this person in the book of Isaiah, actually. Not in the New Testament, but in the Old Testament, looking ahead to the birth of Christ. This is Isaiah chapter 8, verse 3. And here is what the prophet wrote. He says, And I went to the prophetess, and she conceived and bore a son. Then the Lord said to me, Call his name, Meher Shalal Hashbaz. And that is who we're going to talk about today. In this series, Emmanuel, we've been talking about real people because they faced real problems and yet found real hope in Christ anyway, because Jesus is God with us. And my hair, Shalal Hashbaz, is no different. But who the heck is this guy? And in case you weren't aware, Isaiah the prophet lived and prophesied about 750, 700 years before the birth of Jesus Christ. So if this is his son, his son is also about 700 to 750 years before the birth of Jesus. What on earth does this guy have to do with the birth of Jesus Christ? And what does he have to do with us? So that is the kind of thing that we will talk about today in our sermon, which is called Meet My Hair Shalal Hashbaz, after we pray. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you that there is no such thing as a minor character in your story, that every single person here in person and watching online, you know us. The number of hairs on our head is numbered. You know our first day and you know our last. You made us for purpose and good works, which you prepared in advance for us to do. And because of that, Lord, I want to see you move by your spirit and help us understand your word. Help us to see our lives in the life and times of our dear friend, Baher Shalal Hashbaz. Cause it to relate to us and help us find hope in you. In Jesus' name, amen. So today is December 17th, 2023. Christmas is near. A new year is also near. Rock climbing is very near for those of you who are going. But these fun and exciting things are not the only things that are near. Distress might be near. And for the people of Judah, at the time of Isaiah and his son, distress was near. Our main text today comes from the book of Isaiah, the prophet. Isaiah, again, prophesied roughly from 740 B.C. to 680 B.C., about a 60-year prophetic window. And in terms of grandeur and majesty and even prophecy regarding the, the Messiah, no other Old Testament book matches what Isaiah was able to pen and write down and prophesy to the people of Israel and for us through the Holy Spirit of God. Isaiah had this incredible vision of God on his throne room, looking for someone to go and share the word on his behalf. And Isaiah speaks up and says, here I am, send me. So in response, God commissions Isaiah to speak on his behalf. And his primary ministry is to the people of Judah, the southern kingdom, because the people of Israel were split up at this time. And it's here in Isaiah verses 8, 
uh, chapter 8, verses 3 and 4, that we see one of Isaiah's earliest prophecies. So let's go back to these scriptures and read it together again. The Lord said to me, call his name, Maher Shalal Hashbaz. Say it with me, Maher Shalal Hashbaz. I told Jerrica this morning, if I ever have a son, I would like to name him Maher Shalal Hashbaz. And I think that she may leave me. So I won't go through with it. Call his name, Maher Shalal Hashbaz, says the Lord. For before the boy knows how to cry, my father or my mother, the wealth of Damascus, and the spoil of Samaria will be carried away before the king of Assyria. So these places existed a long time ago, but here is an idea of what's happening. Uh, Israel was separated into northern kingdom, retained the name Israel, and a southern kingdom, which kept the name Judah. And at this time, they should have been partners, but instead of that, the kingdom of Judah was facing invasion. And they were going to be invaded, one, by the king of Aram, Damascus, or Syria, which was King Reason at the time, and by their old friends and relatives, the kingdom of Israel. And this is especially hurtful because they should have been one people. And they were looking at going to war with each other. It's like a really bad storyline out of WWE or reality TV and Survivor where one teammate turns against another teammate and now they're going to come head to head with each other. Right? It's, it's really, really dramatic. And now the kingdom of Judah and all of its people are bracing for war to enter into their country and their territory. But then the prophet Isaiah receives a prophecy from God. And he says that the kingdom of Israel and the kingdom of Syria will fail in their attempt to uh, invade Judah because God is going to use the kingdom of Assyria, the empire of Assyria, to judge them instead. And this judgment would come very quickly, hence the reason for Maher Shalal Hashbaz's really long name. Because Maher Shalal Hashbaz meant speed to the spoil and hurry to the plunder. So on the surface, it looks like a really good, solid, aggressive name for a young boy. But it was actually a reminder of distress that was to come. And for the people of Judah, in the short run, this would have been a good thing for them. Because it was like they were being chased by two wolves. One being Israel, the other being Syria. And then the two wolves got eaten in turn by a bear. Good, right? For a little while. But eventually the bear will get hungry again. And now the bear lives next door. And the kingdom of Assyria would be camping on the edges of the kingdom of Judah, ready to knock down the door whenever they felt like it. And every time, Isaiah would be in his front yard, Kabaz, it's dinner time. It's getting dark out. Hey, my hair shalal hashbaz. Every time he was saying it, he was saying, speed to the spoil, hurry to the plunder. Speed to the spoil, hurry to the plunder. In other words, distress is near, and it's coming soon. So distress was very near to the people of Judah. And every time Isaiah said his son's name, it became a reminder of that distress. And distress wasn't just near for them, but distress might be near for us too. The holiday season is supposed to be filled with joy and excitement and love and fun. And while it is, many times, it can also be filled with distress. Because every time we walk into the store, we're reminded of the pressure that we feel to give good gifts, to throw a good party, 
to host a good time. And that pressure can cause us distress. Or maybe you feel distressed because you're far away from people you love at this time of year. Or maybe you feel distressed because you feel like you're alone in some way, shape, or form. Or maybe you feel distressed because you're going to spend the holidays with people that cause you distress. Can we be honest in church? And because of that, distress is near to you. And of course, our distress might not have anything to do with the holidays at all. Our distress can come from anywhere. A lot of us might still be distressed because of what happened at UNLV last week, Wednesday. Distress can come from anywhere. The sources of distress are essentially limitless in this world. And because of all this distress and because of the fact that it's near and we're reminded of it, like it's dark and getting darker. And that is the picture we see toward the end of Isaiah chapter 8. Here is the picture the prophet gives to us. He writes in verse 22, or 21 and 22, excuse me, they will pass through the land greatly distressed and hungry. And when they are hungry, they will be enraged. I will speak contemptuously against their king and their God and turn their faces upward. And they will look to the earth and behold distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish. And they will be thrust into thick darkness. This is a very bleak picture that the prophet is presenting to us. It's dark. It's depressing. It's desperate. And yet so many people live their lives feeling their way through a dark world just like this. And we wonder, why? How did the world get so dark? Well, I, I can think of several reasons. One, the world is damaged by sin. Most of us know that God created the world to be very good. When he was done with his work, he looked and he saw, and it was very good. And then trouble entered the picture when our ancestors, Adam and Eve, thank you very much, rejected God, kicked him out, tried to take his place, and instead evil and trouble and desperation and darkness filled the place where God left instead. And that was a bad decision. And the world is dark because we make bad decisions too. And many of the bad decisions that we make would be called sin by the Bible. Sin is any word, thought, or deed that elevates some selfish desire at the expense of love for God and love for other people. And sin offends God and hurts other people. So if we steal from someone, for example, we've hurt them. And when we're caught, then we've hurt ourselves. All of us are the victims of someone else's sin. We've all felt that consequence. And we are all also perpetrators of sin. And we've committed these crimes against God and others ourselves. And we contribute to the darkness that we see in the world. On top of this, the enemy is very real. There's a very real devil out there. And this very real devil is leading very real demons. And their entire agenda is to steal, kill, and destroy. And they do that. I've shared before from the pulpit that I survived a very near fatal car accident last year. And I think that accident was in part a demonic attack by the devil and an attempt to take my life. And I believe that God preserved me. And at times, God himself can allow some difficulty for a short time to produce good that will last a long time, even throughout all of eternity. But when we think of all of these things, they can come together and sort of create a perfect storm 
of darkness in the world. And while I was preparing for this sermon, sitting there on the couch with my family in Hawaii, uh, I was clicking away at the laptop when a story came on on the news. And the story told, a, told us about a man named Ian Snyder. Ian was a hiker from California, and he came out to Hawaii to explore nature and go on these incredible hikes. But instead of relying on some established hiker forums or different apps that people use, he decided to map out his own trail using Google Earth in a place that he had never been to before, using terrain that he had never traveled. Bad idea. And then, while on this trail that he had never been on before, he sees an alternative pathway that looked difficult, but would have been quicker. So he decided to go the hard way. And then Ian Snyder fell. He fell a thousand feet. And that bad decision he made, it might not have necessarily been sin unless it was motivated by pride. But I do think the enemy took that bad decision and multiplied it and made it many times worse. And when things like that happen, Ian Snyder has three kids. He has a family waiting for him. When things like that happen, the world seems like a dark place. But it is against the backdrop of darkness where light can shine brightest. And as we flow seamlessly now into the next chapter, we need to recognize that Isaiah chapter 8 and Isaiah chapter 9 are actually a part of the same prophetic discourse that Isaiah is receiving from God. So as we read now into the next chapter, we'll see the light that the, we're talking about come to life right here in the middle of all this darkness. Here is what Isaiah chapter 9 verse 2 says. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. So if you're here listening today, if you're here watching online, and you feel like your life is surrounded by deep darkness, there is light available for you. But who or what is this light? In Isaiah chapter 8, we meet Maher Shalal Hashbaz, the son of Isaiah. And in Isaiah chapter 9, we will read a prophecy about Messiah, the son of God. Because the Son of God came to be the light that we need. Let's keep going to Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6. We're familiar with the scripture because we read it all the time at Christmas. This is the situation in which it was first prophesied. Here is what the Lord told Isaiah. For to us a child is born. And to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called a wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. In the middle of darkness, in the middle of distress that was pending indefinitely, this is where God says, I will send you my son, and he will be everything you could ever imagine and everything that you would ever need. That is who Jesus Christ came to be. And this tells us, this passage tells us about these names, not literal names. Like, hey, Joshua. Hey there, Jacob. Hey there, wonderful counselor. Not his literal name. But names in the ancient Near East mindset, it was in a reflection of his character. It told us what his role would be. And one of his roles would be wonderful counselor. 
And when I think of the word counselor, the first thing that comes to mind for me is someone who is a professional, who is educated and experienced, who listens to your problems and tries to give you guidance, right? Like a marriage counselor, like a career counselor, or like a therapist of some kind. These counselors are good. And this does show us an aspect of who Jesus can be for us. Jesus can be a friend who's closer than a brother. Jesus wants to listen to us. So we can tell Jesus our problems when we talk to him in prayer. If you're not familiar with walking with God or following God, as we like to say in the Every Nation family, it's not complicated to pray. Prayer is not meant to be a religious ceremony. It's meant to be a relational conversation where we just talk to God. When you talk to God, you're praying. So try it. And we can talk to God. We can talk to Jesus. And he hears our prayers. So in a sense, Jesus can be like a counselor that we think of today, but that's not how the initial readers of Isaiah's text and prophecy and hearers of his words would have thought of it. Because back then, a counselor was a government official set apart for their wisdom who had actual authority. And Jesus is more like that kind of counselor because he is extremely wise and he has authority. And I think of the end of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them is like a wise man who puts, uh, puts it into practice. It's like a wise man who uh, built his house on the rock. And the rains fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house, but it did not fall because God called him. And we answered. When God calls, you answer. No, because it had been founded on the rock. He's saying, if you listen to me, if you let me lead the way, if you do things my way, it's going to work out. And how did the people who heard him respond? They were amazed because Jesus taught as one who had authority, unlike their teachers of the law. And from the very first moment, Jesus preached this very famous sermon in public. Those who heard him could tell that Jesus had authority, just like a wonderful counselor. Jesus fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. He's wise, and he is worthy to lead us, and he's wonderful as he leads us. That's who he came to be. He also came to be mighty God. And we can think about those two things separately. First, Jesus is mighty. At Christmas time, we think about Jesus being born in a manger. But don't pray, dear Lord, baby Jesus. Tiny baby Jesus. Use your sweet baby Jesus' powers. No! Jesus didn't stay as a baby. Jesus grew up. And the lamb became a lion. Jesus is not weak. Jesus is meek. But Jesus is not weak. Big difference. Weakness is the absence of strength. Meekness is the reservation of strength. So that it can be applied to a better purpose. And Jesus was meek when he went to the cross to die in our place for our sin and prove that he is the son of God in power when he rose from the dead three days later. Jesus proved that he is meek and Jesus proved that he is mighty. But how mighty? Mighty God. Jesus is mighty like God because Jesus is mighty God. One of my favorite, if not my favorite, passage in the Bible is John chapter 1 which begins in verse 1, and the begin- in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, 
and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Through him all things were made, and without him was not anything made that has been made. I could go through this passage forever. It goes down into verse 14, in which it says, And the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. But three quick things that we can pull from this. One, Jesus himself is co-equal in nature and substance with God the Father. The Word was God. And somehow, also with God. And from scriptures like these and many others throughout the Bible, this is where we get the doctrine of the Trinity. And when he was with God, he was there in the beginning with God. Which means that Jesus is also eternal like God the Father. Jesus declares later in Revelation, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Eternity itself is within the palm of his hand. So he was there in the beginning. And because he was there in the beginning, he is the co-equal creator of everything that we see and everything that we are. When God said, let there be light, and bang, it happened. Big bang, you know, you get it? Bang it. Jesus was there. And John says this was somehow made through Jesus. When God says, let us make mankind in our image, who's he talking to? Not those angels. They're crazy, man. Those things have wheels and wings and eyes, and it's crazy. He's talking to Jesus. He's talking to the Spirit. So Jesus is the co-equal creator of all eternity and the earth itself. How mighty is he? That mighty. Mighty enough to say, let there be light. Mighty enough to conquer death. Mighty enough to save our souls and preserve us for all of eternity. And mighty enough, by the way, to help us right now. So even if your world is dark, we can call out to mighty God. And God can bring help and purpose and redemption when there is none. God can bring hope when there is none. So call out to mighty God and watch as he answers you. We're also told in this text that Jesus is everlasting father. And it's not saying that he is God the father, but Jesus can be father-like for one. He says in John 14, I will not leave you as orphans, but I will also come to you. By the way, side note, the first time he prophesies the coming of the Holy Spirit is right before he says that. So both the Holy Spirit and Jesus are father-like in that they impart the care and love of God to us. He's also father-like because he's a founder. Sometimes a founder of something is referred to as a father of something. Right? America has its founding fathers. And George Washington did not lend his DNA to the creation of this country. We're not all his descendants. Father Abraham had many sons. Not George Washington. Not Abe Lincoln. Awesome guys. They are founding fathers because they helped found this country. Jesus, as we just said, is a co-founder of eternity. Jesus is a founder of creation. And Jesus is a founder, according to Hebrews, of a new and better covenant with God. The word covenant refers to an agreement that must be bound by oath. And the Old Testament was an old covenant in which people related to God on the basis of their own good works. And their good works had to include the sacrifice of animals among 600 plus other things. These animals needed to be sacrificed because blood was the only thing that could pay for our sin. 
Sin caused damage, and sin deserved death, and that's why animals needed to be sacrificed. However, the problem was that the animals that were sacrificed in the Old Covenant were never big enough or great enough in order to pay for the death and depravity of our sin. And that's why God initiated and enacted a new covenant. And Jesus Christ came to be the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And Jesus lived to be a perfect and spotless lamb, perfectly fulfilling the moral law of God, which all of us fail to do. And then Jesus went to die so that he could become the sacrificial lamb of God and take our place for our sin when he went to the cross. And Jesus rose again three days later to prove he really is the son of God and to prove that the new covenant is in place. So instead of relating to God by the basis of the good things that we do, we now relate to God on the basis of the good that Jesus did. And in this, Jesus is the founder of a new and better covenant, which has started 2,000 years ago, and it will last forever. And in that, he is an everlasting father and founder of a new covenant. And last but certainly not least, Jesus Christ was born to be the prince of peace. I think most people around the world would define peace as the absence of conflict or trouble. And that's a good peace to aspire to. It's a peace that we should try our best to contribute to. And one day when Jesus returns, he will recreate heaven and earth and he will create this peace and we will live in this perfect peace without any conflict, without any trouble, without any sin, and without any death. And we'll live there forever. But until that day comes, this peace that is the absence of conflict or trouble is nothing but a dream in the world that we live in. It will never last. And that's why, in the meantime, the Prince of Peace has offered us a different peace. In John chapter 14, Jesus also declares, My peace I give unto you, not as the world gives do I leave with you. The peace that God wants to give us is different from the peace that we look for in the world. Because the peace that we look for in the world is a peace that represents the absence of conflict, the absence of trouble. But the peace that Jesus wants to give us is a peace that will last and persist in face of conflict and trouble. Even when conflict and trouble surround us, even when, there are, even when we are in the midst of deep and utter darkness, that is when the peace of God that passes all understanding takes hold of our life and in our mind. And we are told, like Isaiah says in Isaiah chapter 26, that we will be kept in perfect peace when we, when we keep our minds steadfast on God. And one person who experienced this perfect peace for himself is the man who fell 1,000 feet, Ian Snyder. I think we have a video. Let's check out this video together. Hearing tonight from a man who tumbled off a cliff in Nu'uanu and spent three agonizing days stranded below a waterfall. Mahal Annie Richardson is here with more on the California visitor who was ready to die. Mahal? Well, Kiahi, Ian Snyder and his parents gathered for a news conference to meet and say thank you to first responders and the Oahu hiking community. Officials say it's a miracle he survived. 
Walking slowly and recovering from broken bones, bruises, and puncture wounds, 34-year-old Ian Snyder doesn't remember the moment he fell a thousand feet to the bottom of a mountain from the Ko'olau Summit Trail near the Palinachas Trail in Uwanu. But he and his parents wanted to say mahalo to the first responders who saved his life December 7th. For three days near the bottom of a waterfall, he survived with only stream water. I had to reach over all the way across to grab water with my, with my right hand in the stream. It was a little, little trickle. And faith that his life was in God's hands. I had made my peace and said, if this is my, if this is my time, I'm ready to go. But if it's not my time, I know that that patch of sky in front of me, that like I'll be able to wave at a helicopter. I made my peace with God. I will be okay whether I live or whether I die. Bring tonight from a man who tumbled off a cliff in Nuuwanu. Apparently, the full quote that he said at the end there was, "I had made my peace with God." I said, "I know you. I know Jesus Christ is Lord, and I will be okay." whether I live or whether I die. That just happened. Imagine being in that situation. Stuck, stranded, lacerated, bruised, and broken at the bottom of a waterfall, surviving on trickles of water that you can trap with one hand, the one hand that still works, praying and hoping that someone would find you. And in spite of that, in the midst of utter darkness and loneliness, having the perfect peace of God wrap itself around every fiber of your being. That is the peace that Jesus Christ came to give, and that is the peace that only Jesus Christ can give. That's who he came to be. The Son of God came to be the light that we need. So who is the Son of God to you? Who is Jesus to you? How do you experience him? If we want to experience Jesus in the ways that we've talked about, then we need to let Jesus lead the way. Here's how Isaiah starts to wrap up this prophecy. This is Isaiah chapter 9, verse 7. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. The increase of his government. If we want Jesus to be wonderful counselor and mighty God and everlasting father and prince of peace in our lives, then his government, his rule, his leadership needs to increase in our lives. Most of us here live under the government of the state of Nevada. And this is not a perfect place, but because we live here, we experience the benefits of the government of the state of Nevada. For example, we don't have income tax here. It's pretty cool. I wouldn't be affected by it that much, but you know. It's awesome. It's a benefit of the government that we live under. We have a good infrastructure here. Jerrica and I got back late Friday night, and as we were driving home, we noticed that there was a change in our street. In our street, in the two weeks that we were gone, in fact, 12 days, in the 12 days that we were gone, our street went from two lanes to three. We were visiting our family in Hawaii. Do you know how long that would have taken in Hawaii? They would have said it would take three years. 
and then it would take 30. This is a benefit of the government of Nevada. And like my wife said at the beginning, Las Vegas is worth it. There is benefit to living under government. There is benefit to living under leadership. And there is benefit to living under the leadership of the wonderful counselor, of the mighty God, the everlasting Father and Prince of Peace. So what would it look like for the leadership of Jesus Christ to expand and increase in your own life? When the leadership of Jesus increases in our lives, it means that his word, his will is created in our daily lives and in the person and the people that we are. May your kingdom come on earth and in me as it is in heaven. So maybe for you, the leadership of Jesus can expand and increase in your inner world, in your emotions, and in your thoughts, and in your spirit, and in your plans. And you can watch as his leadership increases in your life as you pray and you talk to him about the things and about the places in which you need him. His leadership can increase and expand as you process these things more consistently in a way that's healthy and with God's people. And we can ask God's people, hey, this is something that I'm wrestling with. This is something I'm struggling with. Pray for me. Help me. Keep me accountable to God. Check up on me. I need help with this. Help me watch as Jesus' leadership increases in my personal life. Or maybe the leadership of Jesus can increase in your outer world. And you can see the will of God and the word of God come to life in your relationships, in, in your finances, in your career, in your plans for the future. If we'd be willing to allow the leadership of Jesus to increase in our lives and to allow the light of God to lead the way, then it wouldn't even matter if distress was near. As a matter of fact, for the rest of our time living in this world, distress will be near. It'll always be around the corner. And maybe we'll be reminded of it like the name of Meher Shalal Hashbaz. And when we're reminded of all this distress, maybe the world will feel like it's dark. And when the world feels like it's dark, remember that the Son of God came to be the light that we need. He came to be wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father and Prince of Peace. And if we want to experience Jesus in this way, and if we want to walk in his light, we simply let, need to let Jesus lead the way. Would you bow your heads with me as we seal this time together in prayer? Lord Jesus, I thank you. I thank you, Father in heaven, that to us a child was born and to us a son was given. And now, Jesus, the government of eternity itself is on your shoulder. And I call you wonderful counselor and mighty God and everlasting Father and Prince of Peace. And we call you these things. We know you to be these things. 
thank you for being these things to us. Thank you for being the light that we need. And now, Jesus, I pray that your leadership would increase in our lives today. And with heads bowed and eyes closed, if you're here and you know that you aren't being led by Jesus, then you can start that today. You don't have to jump through hoops first. You don't have to clean yourself up first. That's why he came. He came to help us. If you want to be led by Jesus and to have a relationship with him, you can think of this as becoming a Christian or being born again. If you want to be led by him, you simply need to believe in him and commit to following him. And if anyone is here today and you want to make that decision, then I ask you to count, um, at the count of three, raise your hand so I can see it. One, two, three. Anybody here? You're ready to walk with Jesus and follow him. Anybody here? Thank you. I see your hand. Anybody else? Praise God. Praise God. All right, here's what we're going to do. I want to invite you, those of you who raised your hands, and anybody else who's here to repeat after me. Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10 says that if we believe in our heart that Jesus Christ is Lord and confess with our mouth that God raised him from the dead, then we will be saved. And this prayer will just walk us through that. So repeat after me. Say, Father in heaven, I believe that you sent Jesus. That Jesus lived a perfect life and he rose again three days later. Jesus, help me to follow you. Lead the way so I can know you. In your name, Jesus. Amen.